If you're ordering from Domino's, let's just say that we were really hungry. We wanted to get some Domino's pizza. My favorite is the Philly cheesesteak pizza. It's amazing. If I order Domino's and the delivery car comes up here and he pulls up right over there to that, the front door and he brings out Chick-fil-A, wouldn't you be a little confused? You'd be a little confused, right? Because you ordered from Domino's, not from Chick-fil-A. So you expect whatever comes out of that delivery car to be from the source, which is Domino's. And in the same way, your heart is a factory. You're making all kinds of different things inside of your heart. And your mouth, in a sense, is the delivery vehicle. So you are always delivering something based on what's manufactured inside of your heart. And Jesus Christ said it this way in Matthew, or sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So, what kind of factory do you have living inside of you? What kind of factory is inside of your body right now, inside your heart? How do you know? Well, what is your mouth delivering? Because just as we know where this delivery car comes from based on what he's delivering, you also can know what kind of factory is inside of you based on what comes out of your mouth. So here's the point. We stock up in our hearts things that will be shipped out of our mouths. So what you stock up inside of your heart will come out. It will be shipped out to man, to God, to all kinds of people. And when we ship things out of our heart, it'll either be to God, praise or complaints, and unto man will be shipping out either encouragement, blessings, compliments, or will bring people down in gossip, in cursing, in lying, in all kinds of, of manners of things. So how do you know what kind of factor you have? Well, what are you delivering? What's coming out of your mouth? Because that tells us what the source is like. So because of that, you might be a little confused because you're like, I thought the, the sermon series was called Mouth Factory. So why did you say hearts are factories? Well, it's just very simply this. Oftentimes we try to manufacture what comes out of our mouths in order to deceive people to really think that what's inside of our hearts is good. Chew on that for a second. Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll manufacture the things that come out of our hearts and twist it a little bit so that people think that our hearts are really good. So oftentimes, I mean, how many times have you told a friend you pray for them at youth group? Like, yeah, man, I'll be praying for you this week. You see them again, and you're like, oh, I forgot. And so you just kind of like pray really fast. Hey, man, I've been praying for you. <laughs> I didn't forget. Right? You'll twist what comes out of your mouth so that people look at you and think that your heart is good. How many guys, like, a girl texts you and you're, you're trying to think of what to say back, so you get, like, five of your guy friends together, and you all, like, you all plan, you're, like, the perfect text message, the perfect response to woo her. 
And you think of exactly what to say so that you manufacture it, and then it's going to come out, and, and the woman's going to be like, wow, he must have a great heart. He's a great guy. Because we manufacture the things that we say so that people think that the factory inside is good. How many of us have been really down, really depressed, and people are like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just tired. Yeah, that's a lie. You're not just tired. But you say that because you don't want people to think that you're depressed. So that's what we do. We have mouth factories instead of letting our hearts be the factory that it was intended to be. But what is needed in our day is not eloquence, but authenticity. What do I mean by that? What we need right now is not eloquence, but authenticity. What we need is not to be really creative with our mouths so that we deceive everybody. What we need is not to, I mean, how many of you are like, if only I could pray like that guy. If only I could, my words were just like crafted. And maybe the reason why you don't pray in public is because you don't even know what to say. I don't want to look like a fool, so I'll only pray if I know what to say. And how many of us, when we're talking to our friends and we're like really mad at them, we'll try to like, if only I could make it look like I'm really okay with them. And we try to twist the things that we say and we just wish that we were eloquent with it. But really what we need is to be authentic. If you're in court, hopefully never you, you never go there, but if you're in court and you have a witness who's really eloquent, you actually throw that person out. He's a bad witness. Because what you want is not this person who's like, and I saw on the third day of March 2015, a car was driving by and it crashed and I was bewildered. You wouldn't want someone to be dramatic, right? You want someone to be authentic when they're in court. In the same way, what God wants from you is genuine worship, not lip service. He actually says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Oftentimes, we'll deliver packages to God, but the packages are empty boxes. And so we'll sit here and worship God and praise God, but the things that we say actually don't carry any weight because it's not from our heart. It's something we manufactured along the way. But what God wants from us and what people want is authentic people, not a bunch of shady liars that are trying to deceive everybody. What we need is to have authentic worship. And so, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, we learned it's not about saying the right things, it's about having the right heart. And so he says, the psalmist, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He says, once again, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This has the wording and the language of sacrifice. When he says, let everything that I say, let everything that's within me be acceptable, it's like he's presenting this as a sacrifice before the Lord. He's saying, I'm taking my words, I'm taking my heart, and I'm placing it on an altar for you to evaluate. And I want it to be pleasing to you, O Lord. It's a sacrifice. Now, what is a sacrifice? Very simply, I think it's giving something up to someone else or for someone else. For instance, gentlemen, if you still believe in chivalry, 
and your lady is cold, what you do, she's not your lady, by the way, what you would do is you would take off your coat and give it to her, right? Because she's cold, and you're willing to sacrifice the fact that you'll be cold so that she is warm. It's a sacrifice. You're giving something up to someone else or for someone else. Now, when you're giving that sacrifice, you can't just, like, if you have a really, really dirty coat, you just found it on the floor, it's full of holes, would you give that coat to that lady? No, you keep that coat on. You don't want no stinky coat. What's the difference? You want an acceptable sacrifice. It's not just any sacrifice. It's not just giving whatever. But you're sacrificing the best of what you have. And that's what we are to do as Christians is to give an acceptable sacrifice unto the Lord. Not lip service, not these empty boxes, but the first fruits of who we are and what we say unto the Lord. And so that's what the psalmist wants to do is he wants to give a sacrifice where he can say, let everything that I say and everything that's in my heart be acceptable to you. Now, maybe you're hearing like, but, but why should we offer praise to God? I know you're saying, yeah, praise God if you're a Christian, praise God if you're a Christian, but why should I? Well, I can give you at least two reasons. There's plenty of reasons, but here's two. Number one, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise. What does that mean? Well, we have a very natural tendency to praise things that we think are praiseworthy. You don't even think about it. Like, if you're watching a sports team that you really, really like, and they win, you automatically praise, even without thinking. You don't think, should I praise? I mean, this could be kind of embarrassing because there's some other people that may not like this team. You don't think that way. It's automatically ingrained in you to praise because you have something to rejoice over. If you eat a good meal, you automatically praise. You give thanks because what you've eaten causes a response within you. We automatically praise things that we believe are praiseworthy. And now there is no one more praiseworthy than God. There just isn't. In all the universe, can you think of one thing that's more praiseworthy than God? No. And here's the other thing. You can never overpraise God. You can never exaggerate when you're talking about God. Like sometimes it's embarrassing when you exaggerate. Like if you praise things, you don't want to overpraise them because it could go to their head. Praise, overpraise people, it goes to their head. Like if, you know, Josh Evans is at the Bowery this past weekend, did a fantastic job, didn't complain, and he was working hard in the pantry working with all those people, making sure everything was nice and tidy and in line. But if I went up to Josh, I was like, Josh, you know, why don't you come up? You don't actually have to come up here. Why don't you come up here, Josh? We're going to honor you with a medal. And all. I just want to talk about how, how well he ran that pantry. I mean, that was amazing. And we talk about Josh for a half hour. In like 20 seconds, you have had enough of it. Like, okay, all right, that's enough. And Josh would be embarrassed. He'd be like, I didn't, I like, that whole time I was sleeping, I don't even know what he's talking about. I wasn't even in the pantry. Right, Josh? It'd be embarrassing because I'm giving him more praise than what he deserves. You can never overpraise God. No amount of words, no matter how eloquent you are, can ever match God's beauty and his worth. And if that's true, if you can praise for infinity and never reach the amount of praise that he deserves, 
then we are to always praise. There's never a point in time where we shouldn't be praising, technically. Well, look at this. And this is what I want to draw your, your attention to right now. is in Psalm 19, verse 1. Because you need to see the context of where the psalmist goes when talking about, let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. So here we go. Verse 1. Ready? This is intense. Intense. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Right here he's saying, creation itself is talking. Creation itself is talking about how awesome and glorious God is. And this is what it looks like. In the second half of verse 4, it says, In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So now he's talking, he's like, all right, creation is just insane. It's just crazy. You look at the sky and you're like, wow, God made this. You know what it's like? It's kind of like the sun is like this guy who's about to get married. And he's up there hidden by the clouds. And he comes out rejoicing. I'm about to get married. This is awesome. And that same glory is there. The sun's coming out. He's like a strong man about to run his race. He's about to go his circuit, circle around the world. And we know, like, technically the sun doesn't go around. But for po poetry's sake, this is what happens. He's like, he's about to go as a strong man, run his race, and he's going around saying, the glory of God, the glory of God, praise the Lord. That's what the sun is doing. It's showing God's handiwork. Rejoicing. He's happy. It's a happy sun. And as the sun goes around, nothing is hidden from its heat. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous together. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So he says, just like the sun reveals everything, so your word and your law reveals the deepest, darkest secrets and crevices in our hearts. It's the same thing. I love what uh, Pastor Joey Rosek was sharing with us a couple years ago. He said that he was talking to an atheist. And an atheist was sharing with them, saying, you know, I don't believe in God, but there's one, things, there's one thing that you Christians can do that I can that I wish I could. Well, tell me, what is it? He said, when I see the beauty of a sunrise, there is something within me that wants to give thanks. Isn't it true? Even if you don't believe in God, there's just something about how beautiful creation is. When you have a perfect day like today, you just go like, thank you, God. It's a beautiful day. Now, if you're not, in, if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in God, you can't do that. You're just like, oh, an accident. Oh, what a mistake. This is, this is just a problem right here. You can't rejoice truly unless you believe in the Lord. Now, just as the sun exposes all things, creates light. I mean, that's just crazy. 
So the word of God reveals who God is. Like we can't even stare at the sun. Just imagine what it's like to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. It says, who can understand his errors? In verse 12, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from, also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Then we have that verse again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There's a part of us that when you see creation, listen, okay, let's say that you don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, I think you're staying inside too long. You just need to get out of your house, go on a camping trip. I know you're like, you're probably all minors, so you can't just go off by yourself. But when you can, take a moment, go on a camping trip, and just stare up. Just lay down on the grass and look at the stars. You know what's going to happen? You'll be like, oh, I don't think God's real. Okay, fine, he's real. All right, all right, I'm going to repent. I'm going to go back to church. Everything's okay. That's what's going to happen. Because you can't look at the beauty of God's creation and say there is no God. The Bible says you would be a fool if you did that. And in the same way, as we see creation and it just shouts God's name, when we read his word, it causes us to examine ourselves and we're like, wow. And, and since creation is always making this beautiful symphony, talking about God, I wish that I could be a part of that team. My hope and my prayer is that my words would be shouting out the praises of God, just like creation does 24-7. Imagine being in an orchestra and being the only one not playing your instrument. Like, people are going to stare at you and be like, what's wrong with that guy? Like, why is he even on stage? He's there on stage, and he's not doing anything. That's what we do with our lives when we don't praise the Lord. All of creation... Jesus said, listen, if they don't praise, even the rocks will cry out. When we don't join in with praise, we're not joining in with creation, all of creation, to do what we're made to do, which is worship our one heavenly Father. So God is worthy of our praise. Secondly, the second reason why we are to offer praise to God is because Christ offered his life for us. Christ offered his life for us. That's just crazy. Not only did he make everything, and that alone is deserving of worship, but when we mess things up and we ruin creation, he came down and died for us. He took our place. There was a terrible reminder throughout most of human history where people had to offer sacrifices. Like people actually had to kill sheep, goats, birds, stuff, animals. You had to sacrifice them, kill them. Lots of blood every single day. Priests were not like those guys in black and they had the little white collars. Priests in those days were more like butchers. You were killing so many animals every day and you have little kids. Imagine little kids being like, wow, why are we killing so many animals? It's to show us how terrible our sin is. How our sin really does offend God and offend other people. And there's a part of us that's like, well, I'm not really that bad. And we say that, you know why? You know why we say we're not that bad? It's so that we feel good about ourselves, number one. And number two, we don't have to sympathize with sinners. When there's a person over there 
who's sinning in big sins, a person who's in sexual sin, God forbid, when someone's a drug addict, I can look at that person and be like, huh, that person deserves it. That person, you know, the reason why he's suffering is only because of his own fault. I, at least, I, I have followed the good and right way, and that's why I'm clean and fine and whatever. And we look at our sin, and because we, we judge that other person, we don't have to feel compassion for them. We don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to do anything for the homeless man who you believe is there because he's a drunk. You don't have to serve him. It's like he, he deserves it anyway. It's his punishment. You don't have to do anything for the person who's alone because they've slept around, because they're a prostitute. You don't have to feel bad for that person because... Obviously, their sins have caused their pain and their hurt, and I don't have to sympathize with that person. But you see, our sin is offensive to God. Our sin, too. It doesn't matter if you've never slept around. It doesn't matter if you've never done drugs. It doesn't matter if you've never drank. That doesn't make you more righteous. You still fall short of God's glorious standard, and you need forgiveness, too. And God died for you so that you wouldn't have to sacrifice yourself. Those animals could never take away our sins, no matter how many times you sacrifice them. You know why hell's eternal? Because no amount of punishment can take away your sins. Nothing. So it has to happen forever. But the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was enough to cover for not just your sins, your friend's sins, your family member's sins, your enemy's sins, anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord so that we don't have to offer ourselves. But this is what Hebrews tells us. Although we are not to sacrifice ourselves now necessarily, it says in Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of Praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So now, since, I mean, think about this. You don't have to go down a cross. And, and Hebrews is like, hey, since you don't have to die on a cross, why don't you just like, every now and then, praise God. Why don't you just thank him? Every now and then when you're like together and you're all worshiping and you call yourselves Christians, why don't you just say like, thanks God. That was awesome. The fact that I don't have to die on a cross, that's great. Thank you. The sacrifice of your lips. Praise. Praising our God. So here's the hard truth. Ready? If the product of our lips is not praise, if the product of our lips is not praise, that shows us that the magnitude of what Christ has done has not really sunk down deep into our hearts. If out of the abundance of the mouth, uh, the heart, the mouth speaks... If we are not giving a sacrifice of praise, perhaps the magnitude of what Jesus Christ has done hasn't really sunk down into our heart. So the solution is not just mouthing the words. The solution is making sure that your heart knows who God is. Do you really take time to sit still and thank him? To just remove the distractions like get off Instagram for five minutes and sit down. Next time that you're bored, try this. Just sit down. Just like remove the distractions, put your cell phone on silent and say, Lord, I'm going to give you 10 minutes and I'm just going to sit here. 
10 minutes. And I'm just going to think about what you've done. If your mind starts going to all these different places, take out the Bible and say, okay, 10 minutes, I'm going to read your word. And just think about what you've done. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to praise you. Because you're worth it. And you offered yourself as a sacrifice for my sins. Now, maybe you've done that before and you found it really hard to praise. Because to be honest, I've had many times where that's happened. Where I'm like, I sat down and I'm like, I'm going for an hour. going to praise God for an hour. I sit down and it's like 45 minutes in. I'm like, I'm going to do it in 15 minutes. I'm going to start praising. And it's just, it's hard, right? What's going to keep us from praising? Well, a couple things. Number one, what keeps us from praising oftentimes is bitterness. Bitterness. You have a trial in your life, you have a difficulty, you have a problem, and because you're bitter, you find it hard to thank God. I mean, think about it. If you're bitter towards someone, you don't want to thank them. And, every, and if you're really bitter at your friend or you're jealous of a friend, like you don't want to congratulate them. You don't want to, to thank them or say anything nice to them because you feel like you're being dishonest to yourself. Like, oh, good job. I'm glad you got the award. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad you got an A and I didn't, I, but like you deserve it completely. Like everything you say is sarcastic, right? Bitterness. So maybe you're bitter against the Lord. This is what I'd say. We're going to get to some solutions in a second, but think about Job. Didn't he have every right to be bitter? It wasn't like Satan went up to God and, and Satan was like, hey man, I want to totally just mess around with Job and just mess around with his life. God was the one who brought that up to Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? Whoa, that's weird. God was the one who spoke to Satan. So if anyone had any right to be bitter, don't you think it'd be Job? Where everything's taken away from him, his family, his friends, his wife's cursing him. Everybody around him is betraying him. But what does he say? The Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He chose that even in his trial that he would praise. Another thing that might keep us from praising is spiritual starvation. Spiritual starvation. Maybe you haven't been feeding on the word of God. And listen, if your heart is a factory, you can only stock up on what God supplies. If you have no supply, you can't ship anything out. That's why the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you're expecting to give forth praise, you need to know what's praiseworthy first. You need to be meditating on these things, which means that you read his word. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So you got to read his word. If you're going through spiritual starvation, you need to read. You need to feed on the word of God so that you can ship out some praise. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 21 says that he is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Which means you got to see some works. You need to see how God has worked in your life. You need to give him some time to meditate on those things. Thirdly, what keeps us from praising? Unrepentant sin. Just very basically, if you have sin in your life that you have not repented of, that could actually keep you from uh, allowing yourself to praise. Like I mentioned before, with David and Bathsheba, David said this in Psalm 51 right after he had sex with Bathsheba. 
Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. David couldn't worship because he knew that his sin was distancing him away from God. He also said that if I regard sin in my heart, if I keep it in there and I don't repent of it, the Lord will not hear my prayers. It's possible that you find it hard to praise because there's sin still looking in your heart. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe you've been flirting around, you've been messing around, or you've been smoking, or you've been drinking, or you've been whatever, fill in the blank. There is a sin that you know is wrong, but you refuse to get rid of it. You say, I, I've tried, I tried, but like you, you're not really taking actual steps of repentance. Repentance doesn't mean like try as you're going in the wrong direction. It means turn 180 degrees and go the other way. Some of you need to break unhealthy relationships. Some of you know that you're doing something wrong and you just, you need to stop it. Because that sin can keep you from praise. Fourthly, a lack of feeling. Maybe the fourth reason is the reason why you're not praising. A lack of feelings. Because maybe you're here and you're like, what, I just, I don't feel like praising. And I feel like if I'm praising God, I'm going to be dishonest. Well, there are a lot of times that people in the Bible have gone through dry seasons. In Psalm 63 verse 3, it's all about a dry season. If you're ever going through a dry season, you need to read, read Psalm 63. And here's what it says. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. It's just setting your mind on things above, not on the earth, for you die and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So it doesn't matter what you're going through. If you set your minds not on your situation, but on the God behind everything, then you're able to go above the situation and to praise and say, okay, even though this is really difficult, even though I'm like really sad, God is still worth it. He's still worthy of the praise, regardless of whether I feel like it or not. Like Job says, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. Either way, even if I'm going through a tough circumstance, I can still say, thank you. Thank you I'm going through this because you said that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. So even if the situation looks really grim, really bad, I know in some weird way it's going to work out for good. And that's not to demean the situations you might be going through. Some of you might have sickness or hurt or whatever pain. I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel bad. There's a time for weeping, but also you can't stay there because that's where the enemy wants you. It's just perpetually be sad, perpetually be depressed. But God wants you to rise above your situation and set your mind on him. I love what Psalm 103 says, because maybe this is something that you have to do. If you want to just flip there real quick, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Psalm 103. If you do not feel like worshiping, pull out Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, and read it aloud. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
I don't know what that even means, but that sounds great. What is he doing? He is talking to himself. He's talking to his soul. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to command myself to worship because I know he has done great things. Sometimes you just need to start singing a worship song. How great is our God? He's awesome. My soul magnifies the Lord. You just got to start singing and talking to yourself so that you know once again what God has already done for you. Because, I, I mean, listen, all of us can count some blessings in our life. None of us here is going to walk in this building and be like, there's absolutely nothing to praise God about. There's something. You just need to sit down and think about it and call yourself to bless the Lord and open up your lips and just praise. Now, what kind of sacrifice should this look like? I kind of hinted at this before, but I'll just say it bluntly so that you can write it down. Our sacrifice should be from the heart. In other words, the package you deliver from your heart factory out of your mouth in the delivery car should not be an empty box. It should be from the heart. As Matthew 15, 8 says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I mean, there's nothing worse than when you're playing white elephant and then someone has the crazy idea of bringing the biggest box and then it's just like an empty box inside, right? It's always disappointing. And there's always one person who does it every single year. Stop that, whoever it is, just stop that. Don't do it, it's not cool. No one likes an empty box. If I order from amazon.com and I'm expecting to get a shipment or whatever, I ordered a book, I can't stop buying books because I have Amazon Prime and it's terrible and I'm spending so much money and I just found out like you can add four more members to your account and they don't have to pay anything. So now if you guys want to jump on my account, I guess you can, but, and get free two day shipping. But then you'll be in, under the curse because you just order all these tons of things. Anyway, so if I'm ordering something from Amazon Prime, I expect not an empty box to show up because if they do, then you can dispute it like I have. So here's, here's the trick. This is really random, but it's important. If you have Amazon Prime, you can dispute it online if they have it like a day late. If it's three days instead of two days, you can go argue with the people online and they're like from a foreign country. So you can like yell at them and on the instant chat thing. I've done it a couple of times. This is actually probably not good for me to say, but they're like, <laughs> I said, this is unacceptable. It's three days. I should have gone in two days. And I, I just like, I'm a dedicated member of Amazon Prime and I pay so much money, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, oh, well, we'll give you an extra month membership of Prime. And I said, this is not acceptable. This is not an acceptable sacrifice. And so he's like, all right, and I'll give you a $5 gift card on top of it. And I said, still not acceptable. Let me talk to your manager. Who is this? And bumps it to a manager with a name I can't pronounce. And then that guy started talking to me. He's like, all right, $10. He's like, $25. And he gave it to me, $25 gift card on top of a month. So all that to say, yes, the worst he can say is no. So it's not, we can talk about the ethics of that later. So give God a full shipment, something from your heart. Don't give him an empty box. That's messed up. Secondly, it should be the first fruits. Your sacrifice should be the first fruits of what you have. What do I mean by that? Genesis chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. Cain and Abel. What was the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice? Abel, he sacrificed some meat. Cain sacrificed some vegetables. 
But I think the real difference is not whether it's meat or vegetables. It was the fact that Cain, uh, sorry, Abel found the first and the best and the fattest, and he sacrificed the best of what he had, whereas Cain found the leftovers. When we present a sacrifice to God, not only should it be a full box from the heart, but it should also be the first fruits of what we have. All of you sang today, hopefully, a song where there's a line that says, my heart will sing no other name but Jesus. But really, you probably sang some other songs, right? Where there's other names, like darling, whatever, woman, <laughs> man. I can't think of any songs off my head because I'm really tired, but there's probably other songs you've sang with other names attached to it. So, that being said, I'm not saying that's evil to do that. Don't get me wrong. What I am saying is, Many times we'll be so excited about other things other than God. And it's like God gets the leftovers of praise. We'll be so excited to watch the last season of The Bachelor. Hopefully not. I don't even know if anyone will watch that. Please don't watch that. Apparently he's a Christian though. We'll be so... I know it's <laughs> We'll be so excited about a football team. So excited about a band. We'll be out there at the concert. We'll be fist bumping, we'll be shouting, our voices will be hoarse after we're done seeing the show, we'll be moshing, and we'll come here, and we'll just be like, yeah, I'm praising, my heart will say no other name, Jesus, yeah, yeah, something like that, and we're just giving him the leftovers of our praise, when God really should be, if we say he's the Lord of our life, he should be the object of our affection, and he's the only proper recipient of our worship, when you're shipping things out of your heart, the heart factory, out of your mouth, and you're delivering them, they really should be only going to God in the first place. They shouldn't be going to all these other people. But sometimes we'll worship and we'll praise relationships. We'll praise our favorite sports teams or the things that we really enjoy. And God gets the leftovers. But ladies and gentlemen, it should not be so. It should be God first, everything else second. So if you're getting really, really excited, I'm not saying don't be excited about things. I'm saying be that more excited about God. How does that happen? By letting your heart really meditate on who God is. And if that happens, you'll be ruined for everything else. You'll be willing to sacrifice things. Like who cares if I don't get that job? Who cares if I don't go to that school? Who cares if I don't make the sports team? Because I have Jesus and that's pretty awesome. You'll be willing to sacrifice everything else if Jesus is the most important person in your life and the person that you adore the most, the person that you love to spend time with. You can't wait to read your Bible. I mean, how many of us act like that? Like, I can't wait to worship. I can't wait to show up to impact on time and worship God with all my brothers and sisters that I'll be, I'm practicing for heaven right now. It's going to be awesome. But many of us stroll in later, like, all right, I'm cool, and I'm going to sit in the back and watch everyone else worship. And uh, great job there, buddy. And uh, yes, I see the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. <laughs> and we just, like, we're critiques. We're, like, worship snobs. Oh, that guy's pretty good on guitar. Oh, I like her song. Yes, that's great. I don't like this song. I don't know this song. Why not just worship God? It's about him. It's not about how it sounds. Yes, we want to, like, do our best and have the environment all cool and whatever. But ultimately, if there was one person who led worship, we're lucky, okay? 
all of you have amazing voices. I listen all the time. I'm like, wow, we have a really good, like, you have not only just harmonies, but you have like three-bar harmonies sometimes in these songs. It's great. What would you do if there's like this one kid who's a freshman, not like nothing against freshmen, but a freshman who can barely sing and barely play some chords? He was our only worship leader. What would you do? You'd be like, oh, ow, ow, ooh. Oh, yeah, that's not worship. I don't know what that is. That's definitely, that's definitely like Satan worship, actually. <laughs> we can't do that, right? Think about this. In China, many times what they have to do is they have to worship even without singing. They just worship in their hearts, but together. Because they can't make a lot of noise lest the police come and see the ruckus going on. If it's not sounding great, if it's not looking great, would you still praise God because he's worth it, regardless of what happens? So here's some applications, and then we'll close out. I'll ask the worship team to come up at this time. We're going to close in a song of worship. But here's some practical applications so don't get distracted. If we're always supposed to be praising, it should be that much more awesome when we're all together. Right? Because... If we're all worshiping separately and we're all having our times of worship apart from each other, when we come together, it should be that much more awesome because we've had our time privately and now we're having it corporately. But oftentimes people aren't worshiping. People aren't worshiping because they're not worshiping by themselves. And so when you come here, it's just awkward. You don't want to be judged. Worship, not just here too. Worship on a Sunday. There's nothing that blesses the older members of the congregation more than seeing you guys worship with all of your hearts. That inspires them. You know how many times I hear your parents and some other members of the congregation come up to me like, wow, here's something happening with this youth. I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. We want to prove to them that this generation isn't lost, but this generation is even more passionate about Jesus than they are. Worship, praise God out loud in the assembly. That's biblical. It's actually supposed to be your norm that you have a quiet time with God. On the regular, it's supposed to always be praising his name. Praising God near unbelievers. If you have a person around you who's not saved, thank God anyway. Pray for your meals around them. They might think you're weird, but make them feel weird. Like there was one time I was hanging out with my friend who wasn't a Christian. This was years ago. And I, I wasn't even thinking about this, but I started praying for the food. And I, I forgot he's not a Christian. So I'm like, oh, Lord, I just pray for this. Food. Oh, wait, you don't do that. And he was just like, ooh, don't do that. Pray, pray for your food. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed of praising God in public. Praise God in private. Live in thankfulness. Praise him in good times. Praise him in bad times. Always praise the Lord. You always, have, you always have a reason to praise him. So why not take that opportunity to do it?